Welcome you to the Progressive Commentary Hour. Our theme today, the views of one scientist, a very orthodox scientist, Dr. Michael Yeadon. In fact, for his entire career, with a background in immunology, also molecular biology, studying vaccines, how they're made, how they can be used. And he worked for Pfizer as one of their chief scientists for nearly 17 years. He's published papers in peer-reviewed journals, had a completely non-controversial role in vaccines. He was a standard, high-quality, highly respected scientist. And then along comes COVID, and everything begins to change. Not initially, but he was concerned because he's also a meticulous researcher. And he wanted to take a look at how other countries like Sweden set around the world we're dealing with the crisis. And he said, it just doesn't make any sense. They're telling us that asymptomatic people who have no symptoms at all can easily spread the COVID virus from their own body to those in their home. And therefore, first of all, that's not common in science, he's telling us. Yes, you can be an asymptomatic carrier and spread, but it's almost never the case with people who have a strong immune system, especially younger people. In fact, who are the people most likely to have to go back out to work each day? After all, interesting that they considered a liquor store a safe space in the virus. Oh, and Walmart, and Sam's Club, and Costco, and Whole Foods. So if you were a big store, and you had 100, 500,000 people in it at a time, you didn't have a problem. Just step in the little circle, so so many feet away from the next person, six feet. And if you're a high-end, exclusive French restaurant in California, no problem. You could actually go there, as the governor did, and friends, no masks. And of course, the waitstaff had masks. Or if you were a close friend of people close to President Obama, you didn't have to wear masks, but all the staff did. And then we started to ask, this seems like contradictory, or do as I say, not as I do. And he started to look at all this. And as he started to put the pieces together, he said, something's wrong. They're not following basic science. He was right. Because he is a scientist who plays by the rules. And so he saw no need for these lockdowns. He did see the need to work with people who were older and who had compromised immune systems because of multiple comorbidities. But even that said, countries like Sweden, and the reason they had a lot of deaths in the first year is because they made a decision, which I think was wrong, that they thought was right, that since this is going to be a worldwide pandemic and Imperial College did the modeling, which showed itself to be completely, totally inaccurate. And by the way, an in-depth investigation showed that that scientist, who's still being used today by the World Health Organization for modeling, he had had repeated failed models. So someone who had not been accurate suddenly is telling the whole world, here's how many people are going to die per country. He was way off by huge margins. But anyhow, they thought, okay, we're going to have people die. 
let's have the older people die. The average life expectancy there was about 81, and they were living to 81 and then dying in nursing homes, hospice care, and hospitals. And they didn't have COVID in the nursing homes until they started then giving vaccines, and then those people developed COVID and then spread it and died. So they did have a big die-off of all people because it was being treated. Why use hospital beds for these people when we're going to need them for people who haven't yet lived their lives in their teens, 20s, 30s? You could understand the logic, but the logic also lacked humanity, empathy. And why not try to help the people worldwide with comorbidities? Here in the United States, 65% minimum of all adults are obese. Well, about 80% are overweight. We don't even consider being overweight a health risk anymore. And we consider morbid obesity a problem. But what about obesity? All the scientific studies show it increases your risk of heart attack, stroke, etc. But we also have a lot of smokers, as do other countries. So in these other countries, people who are at most risk had diabetes, emphysema, heart disease, and were morbidly overweight. You can deal with each one of those. You could help these people. They didn't have to die. So, but they did. So now we're told that as long as you wore a mask, you'd be okay. In 95, preferably, but people were making bandana masks, cloth masks. Where was the science supporting it? It didn't exist. To the contrary, the science did suggested you're going to be inhaling a lot of fibrous material that can go into your lungs, especially synthetic fiber, and stay there, causing fibrosis and other disease. But we weren't told that, but it was in the literature. We were also told certain distance. Where was the science net? It didn't exist. It was literally, literally made up when the FDA commissioner was going up in the elevator and one of the top president's advisors asked him about, where's the science net? Oh, you know, it's just common sense. Well, there's no science. The common sense doesn't support uh, six feet stopping the virus from entering your airspace. In any case, he started to see discrepancies up and down the chain. And even the PCR test, which was invented by Dr. Carrie Mullis, who won the Nobel Prize in chemistry for inventing it, said, don't use my test to determine the nature of your disease or its advancement. Now, he told me that in an hour and 54-minute interview. I filmed him out in his home in California. I did a lot of conversations with him, lots of um, meetings, because he was one of the people smart enough to speak out against a lot of misinformation. In any case, um, he died just as COVID was getting started. But which tests were we using? We were using the PCR test at very high amplifications. He said anything above 16 is garbage. Anthony Fauci, I believe, said somewhere around 20, 23 to 26 amplifications was garbage. Just going to sell, find debris. We were using 41 to 46 amplifications. So therefore, where's the accuracy? Where's the gold standard? Didn't exist. So what we were telling people is you have COVID because you're testing positive for the antibody, antigen test. That didn't mean they had COVID. Could have meant they had natural infection. Could have been a false positive test, which probably most were. But suddenly the New York Times said cases 
So now you just didn't have a disease, you, had, you were a case. So then once you were a case, then you had to stay in quarantine. Think of how many people committed suicide, how many people's health failed, how many people began using psychiatric medication or alcohol, how many people would order in food because they were afraid to go to the store or couldn't get in certain stores. And remember when you didn't get the vaccine, you were suddenly a second-class citizen? We had vaccine apartheid in the United States. Yeah, you were attacked. You lost your job. You were ridiculed. Even family, just yesterday, I was coming out of a store in a parking lot down here in southwest Florida, where I live, and a young woman, she looked about 18, turns out she was 30, comes up to me and she said, would you say hello to my mom? She had her cell phone. I said, what's your mom's name? She said, Maria. I said, okay. She said, I've been to two of your retreats. I looked at her. I immediately recognized her face. I didn't remember her name. And uh, she said uh, that she was a teacher in New York, and she quit her job rather than be vaccinated. And she was down here where it's not mandated, and she's working in a school where she feels comfortable and not always challenged because she said... Even members of the family would attack any time you mentioned the science showing that there were problems with the mandates. In any case, this went on for uh, years with people. To this day, I have people who will tell me, my brother doesn't speak with me anymore. He thinks I'm a nut and a dangerous person. I keep giving him articles showing that I had COVID, therefore I had natural immunity. Therefore, I was safe. I could get COVID again, but it wouldn't be as severe. And it provides a long-term immunity. Now it's up to 16 years in individuals. Whereas the vaccine only confers some protection at a low amount for two months. Therefore, they're suggesting you get a vaccine, a booster, every several months. As if it's all safe. But it's not. And that brings me to this part before we go to my guest. You're going to hear Dr. Michael Eden, in his own words, tell you what he thinks is terribly wrong with everything involving COVID. Now, he may be right in part or whole, or he may be wrong. I do not concur with everything he is saying. But I do know that once they knew that their protocols were wrong, the government, the U.S., uh, uh, U.S. Public Health Service, Anthony Fauci's National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Disease, the CDC, the FDA, they intentionally misled Americans. They intentionally misled the medical community. They intentionally misled the scientific community. They lied. They covered it up. Well, now, under freedom of information, documents and lawsuits, we're getting the documents to show they knew from day one when they gave the vaccines that there were other safer, far more safe, and far more efficacious medical therapies like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine that could have saved millions upon millions of lives. At least 4.5 million lives could have been saved. So if you lied to me once, why would I expect you wouldn't lie again if it was to your advantage? Now think of the reputations. All of their reputations will be destroyed. Think of the lawsuits are going to flood in. Hundreds of millions of lawsuits are going to be happening. Think of the consequences. Now people are saying, well, I 
I trusted you. What's in the blood? What's in my blood? And we can't tell you everything's in there because we're just finding out. And it's one bad story after another. So that brings us up to allowing Michael Yeadon to make his own presentation. Remember, he is not supported by a lot of people in a lot of his thoughts. But let's see what he does say that can be independently confirmed that you would agree with. Now to the clip. Hey Mike, it's uh, good to talk to you again. Steve, great to be uh, with you here today. So you uh, probably have an interesting story to tell in terms of what you'd like people listening uh, to this broadcast uh, to know. So what's what's kind of on the top of your mind right yeah. now? Yeah. So, um, yeah, people probably know that um, I'm a lifetime professional research scientist, always wanted to do that since I was a kid, uh, properly qualified, full career in big pharma, and then I had 10 years independent in biotech, did very well. So I was enjoying a bit of light consulting when uh, we were told uh, a pandemic had begun in 2020. And I think famously, I realized very early on that people I faintly knew of on the telly, because I've been around so long that I know some of the people in public health, they were, they were lying. And I, so I didn't say that first of all, but I realized they were using things like PCR tests. And I knew just about enough of those to know, like with any test you have to do internal controls, there was no sign of any of that. And so I smelt a rat early on and that then I, I probably became infamous on Twitter arguing the toss about PCR tests and no one cares. And it occurred to me later in the year that they were not only lying about these diagnostic tests, but in, in my view about absolutely every other part of the, the narrative, including masking, asymptomatic transmission, lockdowns, border closures, all that sort of stuff. And so later in the year I I think I became the first person using the L word. They are lying uh, because if scientists give their opinion and Graham's pumba on the telly with a tie and a title is saying something else, they'll never take, they'll never, the public won't weigh those things. So if you say they're lying and here's why or here's how, you got a chance. And so, and I'm afraid, yeah, I've noticed that the authorities have been lying continuously. Um, whether there was, I don't believe there was a pandemic, but let's say there was something, it was no, no more serious than flu. Do we ever close the world down for flu? No, we don't close the world down for flu. So straight away, folks, whether you believe there has been a pandemic or has not been a pandemic, uh, some great and powerful people have closed the world down uh, based on a public health hazard that, that is not abnormal. Uh, and then they persuaded, badgered, coerced, and sometimes mandated you to roll your sleeve up to take a completely novel concoction, so-called gene-based gene based vaccines. I don't think of them as vaccines. Um, and I, I knew because of my toxicology and drug discovery and experience that, uh, that these things, if they did anything at all, would be harmful and said so. Um, that's when my world fell in, in early December, 2020, I'd been badgered a bit on Twitter by presumably paid trolls and people who just disagreed with me. But that's when that's when the um, the national broadcaster and several well-known journalists decided that they'd had enough of me and were going to tell me off. So that's when that's when I became the anti-vaxxer darling or whatever it is. Um, and um, and basically, 
I've said to people, this is an important thing to say, um, my radar, my job is to join the dots. That's what I've always done all my life, and it's probably about the only thing I was unusually good at. So I often see patterns in sparse data before other people do. Um, danger of that is sometimes you see patterns that aren't there, but if you're forming the patterns and you're double doubling back on yourself, I, I, I tended to be ahead. So my mind is usually several months ahead of my mouth. So um, by summer of 2020, I was alluding in interviews to um, the possibility that if somebody wanted to, you know, poison a significant proportion of the population, they couldn't come up with a better way than lying about a pandemic and, and saying, here's a medicine. Uh, I already knew by the end of March, uh, 2020, that the only thing that would make that made sense to shut the world down, uh, therefore with enormous financial consequences when it was not necessary, that meant the pe the owners of assets and capital must have signed the box for that. You must have signed that off. Well, why would they do that? Um, and I came to the conclusion, and I think that was right. Control was the reward. Um, digital control. By the end of the year, I could see it's as simple as this. I think. There may be more than more than this, but just from the biology, they, I believe the perpetrators intend to require us to carry mandatory digital ID, um, hopefully in your hand rather than inside your forehead, but I wouldn't, wouldn't count on it being limited to a device in your hand. And then cashless central bank digital currencies. That's all that's required. That is all that's required to remove every last wisp of your freedom. Because if I'm running this and I say, I'm going to require digital ID, valid digital ID, before you do anything, before you buy anything, before you obtain a service or cross any regulate, regulated threshold. And if I define valid as up to date with the latest WHO recommended inverted commas vaccines, that's all I need to remove all of your freedom permanently. Um, and it's quite shocking when you realize it, it would take only two two or three acts if we didn't react. And I'm, I'm not sure any of us are going to, enough of us will react. Um, for example, in in Britain, um, the bank I bank with, National Westminster, I've been with them for 40 something years, and they just blithely announced last week that uh, as from, I think, September, they're going to reduce the amount of cash a customer can obtain every day from the bank, regardless of their of their balance to 250 pounds and i think when when did the bank last decide how much of my post-tax money i may obtain and it's so i went into the bank to remonstrate and the staff said that oh, we didn't know anything about it but it there it's on their website so they're about to do it there are no pitchforks and torches in the street um this is how they get us you know that uh so anyway so i've made sure i've got I've got plenty of cash and uh, non-cash equivalents because at some point I think they'll, I think people's um, money will be stolen in some way um, through banking crisis or whatever. And so, you know, if, if you, you know, if you want to carry on using, be out, alive outside the system, then you'll need some means of uh, of exchange that's not dependent on whatever restrictions they put in place. So I think that's where we're going. Um, some other friends who are cleverer than me in military matters are, you know, concerned there could be, you know, there could be uh, a war could be precipitated or, you know, food shortages. 
I, I have nothing to say yes or no on those things. It's, what do I know? But in terms of the, um, the uh, in terms of the control agenda, I, I think what I've described is seems perilously close. And and the clues are there, aren't they? The WHO and the European Union announced last month that they were going to adopt the EU would adopt this sort of travel pass, which will contain your health status. So that's, I think, vaccine passport at some point, which is unnecessary, of course. Um, and um, and then, like I just said, the bank is making it harder to obtain and to use cash. So it's like it's converging on the spot I pointed to. And um, I've already made my decision. And I recommend to people that you don't need a digital ID. Um, I don't need a digital ID and your whole life has been lived in a, a law-abiding, successful way without digital ID uh, for, for every, for you know, the sort of zero trust society they're talking about. So I, I've resolved not to sign up for it. And if I'm told that's the end of your access to money, then so be it. I'm, I believe that this, is, um, this machine is one that will be used to kill a lot of people and I'm not gonna step in, into the machine. That's what I'm not gonna do. And I'll keep speaking because uh, as I was discussing with your with your assistant, um, a coward dies every day and a brave person dies only once. So uh, I may not be accurate in every deduction I make. I always say to people, I don't have a copy of the script, but I, you know, I'm sincere in what I'm saying. It's complete nonsense, isn't it? I mean, the shutting the world down for a flu-like illness, even if it was, you know, a, a multiple of its lethality is mad, but they've done it everywhere. And that means that's proof positive mm -hmm. of supranational activity, right? Straight away in March 2020, supranational activity, because how could 160 countries decide at once to do the same crazy, unprecedented, not in their pandemic preparedness plan um, restrictions? And the answer is, as it was degreed at a level above, um, and there, we know from um, there's loads of uh, there were loads of tabletop simulations of this kind of event, including you know, famously event 201 in 2019. But these started in the late 90s, and there've been tabletop simulations of uh, pandemics and bioterror. That are, I think there's like 15 of them. Um, run by Johns Hopkins, Bill and Melinda Gates, you know, the uh, US military, and increasingly um, senior ministers in each of the sort of Western countries and eventually including China. Um, so there's been a lot of rehearsal for this. And uh, I'm not convinced, I'm not convinced, in, I'll, stick, I'll put my, stick my neck out and say, I don't think severe respiratory illness pandemics are possible. And that's because you're not infectious until you're uh, loaded with whatever the pathogen is. Uh, and when you are, you are symptomatic, that is ill, and you withdraw from circulation. And the worse it is, the more quickly and more categorically you withdraw, and that terminates transmission. So uh, the idea that there could be a, like flying Ebola. Uh, flying Ebola is not, I mean, you wouldn't want to catch it. It'd probably kill you, assuming it's real. Uh, but it's not going to spread very very far, because you, these people who get Ebola, whatever it's called, whatever it is, they they get they get sick apparently, really ill, the same day that they contact the person with the symptoms, and often they're dead the next day. So 
you're not going to be breezing around, you know, Kmart and buying buying gasoline and going to going to a party. So you're not going to be infecting very many people, and that's the whole point. There's a R zero, R naught transmission number uh, is is great with things that leave you symptom free for a long time, um, but you're not. I just don't believe in respiratory illnesses that people are symptomatic. Uh, sorry, are um, infectious unless they're symptomatic because they both pivot on a common uh, factor, which is a lung full of pathogen. And both in both situations, to be a good source of infection, you have to have a lot of it and you will have symptoms. Um, that's according to the narrative. Um, I, as you've heard, I've, uh, I wouldn't say I've had a conversion and I'm not sure of the sort of no virus arguments. Um, but I don't believe there's been a pandemic um, that set me apart from quite a few people. But I'm a scientist and I'm following the data. So the reason I say it, the reason I say it, it's just one, one reason. Um, it's nothing to do with the no virus arguments. It's nothing to do with whether it's been isolated or not. Nothing at all. It's wholly down to the epidemiological work of Dennis Rancourt and his colleagues who looked at all-cause mortality, asking only the date of a death, um, the sex and age of the person who died, and they collected data from each of the 50 states every week. And I think they've done at least three years' worth. And there was no pandemic, Steve. There was no increase in all-cause mortality anywhere until WHO called the pandemic. And then, as we know, uh, mad protocols were introduced in hospitals like Mass ventilation. I, I'm a respiratory guy. I, I understand a bit about ventilation. I can say, if you have an open airway, you haven't got asthma or an object in your throat. If you can breathe in and out through your airway, and you haven't been stabbed or shot or crushed, so your chest wall is intact, you never, ever sedate, intubate, and ventilate unless it's for something like um, you know elective surgery. Uh, you, you don't do it for flu. So when tens or hundreds of thousands of people were subjected to this treatment, I, I knew that that was, that was going to end badly. And then these poor souls were also given intravenous uh, remdesivir in the US, I believe, uh, from a company called Gilead. Uh, and uh, the material is poisonous. And that combination of a very stressful mechanical ventilation is life-saving when you're coming with a head injury and you're not breathing or... You know, or as I say, uh, elective surgery, or perhaps your burns, and you need to be sedated. It's a lifesaver. It's and the trade-offs of risk to your pulmonary health are definitely worth it. But a person who comes in anxious, short, short of breath, and so on, you give them an oxygen mask and half a Valium tablet, and put your arm around them. Um, you, you definitely don't do what they did, but that was mandated. Um, so I knew that was bizarre. Then in care homes, uh, assisted living, old people's homes or whatever they're called. People were given midazolam and morphine in Britain, for sure, uh, which is two-thirds of the lethal injection as used in some US states. My PhD was in the effects of opiates on respiration. Um, so I knew that midazolam and morphine was, you shouldn't give, if you give that to unattended, elderly, somewhat frail people, most of them will just stop breathing if you give enough dose. And in fact, uh, it's contraindicated except in high, in you know, high dependency settings. So the fact that we're giving them to tens of thousands of 
elderly folk in care homes. It's, that's mass murder, sorry. Uh, and then the last one, um, there was a long-running controversy when I was in the industry about whether or not it was appropriate to give antibiotics to people who had a chesty cough after they'd had you know, a cold or something. Uh, and we usually do it because on the precautionary principle, if you don't and they get pneumonia, they could die in a few days. So, But people were saying, well, we've never done the controlled trial. They have now uh, because during 2020, um, on all sorts of fraudulent grounds, doctors were, were instructed pretty much to withhold antibiotics from people who had a positive COVID test on the grounds that antibiotics don't kill viruses. It's like, that's true, uh, but people who've had one acute episode often follow it with bacterial pneumonia. That's well known. And so they halved the number of prescriptions for antibiotics, chest infections, and people, young people as well, just died in their droves. So tough way to get the experiment done, but that's those were the three main methods. I call that iatrogenic murder. Uh, I don't think I don't think a new pathogen killed anybody. I could be wrong, but there's no evidence for it. Well, no, that's not true. The the there's lots of bits of evidence, most of which I think is fraudulent. Um, um, molecular biology is the best biological science to cheat in uh, because it nearly all involves computers, algorithms, assumptions. You can't, you don't get a bit of tissue twitching or an animal breathing or not breathing. You, you get a bunch of code, and uh, even when they do sequencing, it's not what you think it is. It doesn't, it doesn't do what you think it does. Um, next generation sequencing, for example, is just it's a it's a it's a mad lottery that's decoded using software and i remember when i was in the industry speaking to experts i said this is this just strikes me as statistical statistical like this is like probabilistic pharmacology and they said yeah that's right it's like <laughs> so i i anyway so the fact that there was not an increase in all cause mortality when this virus was supposed to be sweeping across western europe and america um, tells me, and also I'd say to you, Steve, that we, we, I think we would agree the authorities lied to us about masking, they lied to us about the severity of the public health emergency, they lied to us about the necessity uh, of mass testing, they lied about asymptomatic transmission, they lied about the need for border closures, school closures, small business closures, etc., 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 etc. So the same people uh, who've done all those lying done all that line, they're the people who told us there's a novel, novel virus, and yet the all-cause mortality data says there's nothing unusual happening in the spring. So I think it's a real stretch uh, to go and find, find a virus. Uh, and I, I think, again, I, I've said to people, I'm, I'm not going to fight people on our own side. We've got enough bloody common, <laughs> agreed um, things running against us that let's not fall out over this stuff or, or if you want to I'll, I'll let you fall out on your own but that's where I've got to um, I've said before that I'm not clever enough to follow the the so-called no virus arguments completely um, and also I know people who work in virology and I've explained this to them and they've said no no you don't understand Mike and then they start talking in deep technical terms and they've said I know that virus x and y exists because I worked on them you know and I think you know what I'm not going to gainsay these people. This is, so that's where I that's where I get caught. I, I look at the the data for the pandemic. I, I'm 
is if no viruses really exist, I'm not, I'm not clever enough to, to make the argument, and I don't make the argument. But we've been lied to, definitely. And the perpetrators meant us harm initially, because as soon as the pandemic was called, they changed hospital, care home, and community treatments that predictably resulted in hundreds of thousands of innocent people losing their lives. I, and I think they were murdered, iatrogenic murder. And then while that was going on, um, a bunch of people in my former industry, of which, of which I'm now thoroughly ashamed, uh, I, would, I, would, I, wouldn't, I was dropped by all my consulting clients in the summer of 2020. Um, and I didn't mind them doing that. I didn't need their money. And you know what? If any of them contacted me now, I would say, screw you, you know, don't work for a crooked industry. Um, and so I feel embarrassed that I didn't realize it wasn't all crooked. I, I, I assure you there were some very good drugs. I think it got crooked around the turn of the century. And I can even remember, I think we were running out of drug targets, Steve, and management realized we couldn't produce the output required. And some clever people came up with molecular biological ways to make and to identify and validate new targets quickly. Um, and it was like the Human Genome Project uh, sequencing whole humans, and that's faster and faster. And they said, if we can sequence um, whole, whole organisms and do high throughput screening, um, high throughput gain, gain of function is something I've even done. You, if, you, if you have a protein, you don't even know what it does. You can you can do what's called an alanine, an alanine scan. So you change all the side chains one after another. Uh, position one, two, three, four, five. You sequentially change it for an alanine, which is normally a, a small non-polar thing. And you see, does that change the function? And often it does. It's uh, and anyway. So senior management persuaded the board that if we spent all these dollars on, I think Pfizer made a big six investment in sort of bioinformatics screening human genome and stuff. And I remember speaking to people at the time and I'm saying, this process requires what I call a TAMO box, Steve. You're moving from the left to the right. You've got information on the right is the pot of gold. TAMO stands for then a miracle occurs. It's like you couldn't logically follow all the steps uh, and have any real chance of getting a drug. And I only know of one drug that emerged out of that, out of that investment and Damn it, it's supposedly to treat HIV that I think is fraudulent. You know, I'm afraid HIV was made up <clears> by <throat> the very same people, including Fauci, um, uh, that, that has made this up. But so that's like an end of, anyway. Uh, I, so I, like, just to be clear, it hasn't been a pandemic. I can't comment on whether or not someone's got something in a test tube, uh, and I'm not willing to. Um, you know, make some statement about the entire category of pathogens. I'm not clever enough, uh, so that's where I'll stop. But um, uh, nasty people are coming at us. The evidence for that was very clear very early. And I say that I think the last uh, conscious decision, the last decision that you have to make, folks, that's not, that's not that after this, all the other things, the, the, the crooks don't require your consent. So I think the last thing they need of you is to sign up for digital ID. And it's appearing in certain US states when I was still living in Florida. They said, it'd be very convenient. You can combine your health records and your driver's license. And 
your whatever your Starbucks loyalty card. And before you know it, they'll have everything on that, and you'll be required to show it to get gasoline to enter a store or at least to buy anything in a store, and then ultimately to enter a mall. It's so easy to see. Don't sign up for it. You don't need it. They need you to have it. If enough of us refuse and just say, oh, thanks very much for the convenience offer. I'm going to stick where I am. That will force them to become more aggressive and that will wake more people up. So I think the strategy of the perpetrators is never to do anything that will activate more than a small percentage of the population at any one time. And it's been pretty successful. So please don't sign up for digital ID. Um, if they say, oh, you won't be able to do certain things, and you think, well, I'll sign up so as to avoid those harms, I'm telling you, if you sign up for it, the harms you're going to get are much worse. Because then they can tell you, unless your digital ID that you've now voluntarily taken up is valid and up to date with your jabs, you, then you'll still lose validity. So you, you will have to do, have to do it anyway. Uh, and I, I think that's one of the most likely methods that will be used to kill large numbers of people. I know from my 32 plus years of rational drug, drug, rational drug design experience, the structure of molecules are not random. They are a consequence of uh, intentions in the mind of the designer that are then sort of uh, rendered into you know, a practical thing. And so given that's what I did for a living for a long time, I was quite good at it. I worked shoulder to shoulder with medicinal chemists and biotechnologists. If you examine a, a kind of a medicinal entity written on paper or whatever, you, you have a, a way of looking into the, the mind of the designer, what we're trying to accomplish. And those, those injections, folks, were definitely designed uh, with the intention of causing injury, uh, maiming and killing. There's no other purpose for them. Um, even, if, even if I believe the narrative about respiratory viruses and injected uh, material designed to produce immunity couldn't possibly work because that's not, that's not how humans, Im, human immunity in the respiratory tract does not depend on circulating antibodies, but mucosal secreted antibodies that these injections do not elicit and T cells that they, I'm not sure whether they elicit, but so they, they could never have worked. It would not have been appropriate to take them. They were definitely rushed. They could not possibly have been manufactured in the time they said they were manufactured and have been reproducible batch to batch. That's, that's absolutely certain. Not my opinion. That's the opinion of Headley Reese, R-E-E-S, Headley Reese. Uh, he spent almost 40 years in pharmaceutical production. And we've spoken many times and, you know, he knew it was a, a fake. So, yeah, don't take digital ID. For goodness sake, don't allow yourself to be jammed by anything that's got uh, emergency, Fauci, Gates and WHO, you know, even at one remove. Just these people are not good. They want to harm you and they've harmed many people. Um, and the reason I think they, they'll make another run at us is that the, the virus story is so compelling that, uh, I've said to people, I, I've mentioned to Steve that the, the epidemiological data is, is really oddly in contradiction to the narrative. And, and I think if you go and read that, um, you think, oh, my God, that's, that there wasn't a pandemic, or at least not there and then uh, where they said there was. Um, but the thing is, despite that analysis and despite you know, me and a few others saying it, nobody cares. You know, they, 
they're all scared of the of they're scared of the bug they're scared of the um, lab made bug out of Wuhan they could easily do it again tomorrow and uh, and then these um, gene based injections I mean I was horrified to realize several months ago that government after government said we're so pleased with the you know performance of these new technology vaccines that we've agreed to work with Moderna, Pfizer, whatever it is, to build a manufacturing plant for mRNA vaccines you know, in, in every country. And it's like, oh my God, these, these things can't be safe. They'd never be safe for a mass market, never ever, because they prompt your body to make things that are non-human. Uh, and if your body is finely tuned, uh, it plays nice with itself if things that are inside Mike Eden are Mike's proteins or inside Steve Kershaw, Steve Kershaw's proteins. But if, for example, we cloned and expressed a bit of me and Steve or vice versa, our immune system would attack it. That's, that's the same basis of, of transplant rejection. Um, and so if your body is induced to make a piece of non-human protein, wherever it comes from, from a virus if it exists, uh, or just from in, an invented sequence, um, your body will assume it's either infected or cancerous, and it will unleash a lethal attack on every cell that's taken up and expressed that injection. Um, and so, you know, uh, they cannot; these cannot be safe mass market products. It doesn't matter what they tell you. It doesn't matter what clinical trials they do. Um, retire. So, 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 okay. So, so, so let, me, let, let me interrupt. So, yeah, are, you, are you saying that? All of the people on the CDC outside committee, for example, all of those people are in on the plan. They all know what the plan is. They all agree with the plan. Probably all... not. No, okay. I, I'm probably not. Okay, so so yeah. so. Tell I think me. they know what they're doing. I think they know what they're doing is wrong, and I don't know anything about what else they know. And you know what? I I think a lot of people haven't even realised that. So let me just, if I could, just briefly. I'm so old, despite my boyish, youthful looks, uh, that three of the four senior vice presidents or executive vice presidents that were responsible for these uh, gene-based jab programs in J&J, AstraZeneca, and Pfizer, I, I know them personally. They're either work colleagues, two of them, that I worked with for between, say, five and 15 years. Uh, and another one was someone I met uh, professionally and, you know, we stayed in touch for about a decade. So I know three of the four people. I contacted them in 2021 saying, you know, guys, you know, because they're all male. Um, and I just laid out some basic facts. Um, you, you sh I always thought you were smart and good, you know, a good person and smart. And I must be wrong in at least one of these determinations, these assessments. Uh, two of them blocked me on social media. Uh, and one of them, a few months later, resigned. Matai Mammon resigned from J&J without comment. Now, Steve, you understand deferred compensation at that level. He, I, I, he must have walked away from at least 10 million in deferred compensation. He didn't announce a new position at the time, although he's moved back into biotech. No one leaves an SVP, VP job like that with no comment. Um, they just thanked him for his service. And I, when was, I, the, when was the last I think time I rattled him, and he thought, "Oh my God, he didn't realize." Go when you say nobody has nobody leaves a, a VP a job like that, when was the last time that yeah. happened? Hardly ever, hardly ever. It's yeah. Put it this way: uh, uh, as you you probably know, you get a decent salary, but your 
percentage of salary of bonus as it were bonus could be 100 percent of salary or sometimes more um and then there'll be you know okay, so he's never, he's never commented on on why he left no no he didn't he didn't okay so um, the, the people on the cdc outside committee who, who approve these vaccines for for people in america just as a small example if yeah. they're not in on it mm. then why did they approve the vaccines so uh i mean obviously I have no idea why they did what they did, um, but of course we, we don't know. Vaccines, what, what, vaccines Steve, have been a they racket. Would. They've been a racket for decades, as you, as your work recently has been. Vaccines are a racket. Uh, I wouldn't recommend anyone currently, certainly not in the current environment, to accept any vaccine. Not against anything. Uh, I'm not saying none of them are any good, but when you look. As you have done often, if you look wait, at wait a minute, the, wait a minute. Do, do, do you know of a good vaccine? No, I don't. I, I, okay. I don't. Okay. So I, I'm saying to people. I was just checking to, no, no, just I, to make I, sure. I, again, I often say my mind is months ahead of my mouth. I mean, I'm pretty bloody sure that they're all neutral to harmful and not useful. Okay. Uh, and I will never subject myself voluntarily to another one. But in terms okay, of my so recommendation, uh, definitely don't take a, these gene-based jabs were dangerous by design. How, how dangerous do you think these gene-based jabs are? Give me the kill rate. If I okay. if oh. I give you a thousand doses yeah. and inject it into a standard population yeah. in the U.S., how many people will I kill? Uh, I'll answer the question as one in a thousand, but it will depend on injecting a representative sample of the population. Yes, I, I said a standardized population. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so if you, a representative sample injected, and it's but it's 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 harder than that as well as you as you will be aware, the lot to lot variability means. No, no. I'm saying on on average. Yeah. Okay. It's just there aren't really any average ones. There are. It's like Russian roulette. It's like a there's a chamber with a shell in it. Well, there is an average. You can, and, you can compute an average for, for yeah, you any, can. I think it's one of the any set of about, criteria. I think it's about one in a thousand. And, okay. and I say and, to people, and, and, and so why do you say one, one in a thousand? Because that tends to match my my number that I've been saying for yeah. for a couple of years now. Where did you get your one in a thousand number from? I, I got it from uh, work, including yours. But there were you know three or four other people who were. Uh, including, I think, people so like Sasha Lazipova, Dennis uh, Rancourt, for example. Yeah, and Dennis, Dennis Rancourt. Um, I must say, when I realized these things were potentially harmful, and potentially harmful and actually harmful, unfortunately, they're different things because it's all in the dose. If you take a small enough dose of pretty much anything, it'll be harmless. And if you, but if you take a large dose of things that we normally think of as benign, it could kill you. And the you know, famous example is, um, I believe it or not, people were encouraged to, to drink whilst running marathons. Um, and you might think, obviously, you know, Mike, you must drink when you're running marathons. It's like, you actually don't need to drink very much when you're running. I mean, I'm, I've run 15,000 miles at least. Um, and where do you think the water comes from that comes out of your, out of your skin? It's, it's metabolic water. As you burn substrates, you produce you know, CO2 and water. And your body's clever. You, 
you know, you can, you can go through unbelievable privations without drinking. So I'm, I'm not recommending you run 26 miles without a water. But, but people who died in marathons, most of them had hyponatremia. They diluted to hell the sodium in their blood and their heart stopped. Uh, so even water in the kind of quantities you can drink whilst running a marathon can kill. So the one in a thousand thing, uh, so some of the some of the lots I think were you know ten times more lethal. Some were hundred times less lethal. So we can't we can't conclude anything. Uh, we can't reliably predict anything about what will happen next time because it depends on on what they want to do. Uh, but just for the a rule of thumb, if it is one in a thousand so far, that's about a little over ten percent of the normal population, you know, death rate. Uh, what's what is striking about what's happening now is that the excess deaths are occurring in people who generally, you know, would be very unlikely to die. You know, um, young women, for example. My, my dad was a doctor, and they, they had a mantra which was, you know, young women don't die once they sorted out obstetrics and gynecological related problems pretty you know pretty much uh young men of course you know kill themselves with violence and automobiles motorcycles um but you know young people generally don't keal over and die and unfortunately it's, like, I, it's the new it's the new normal now mike it's do, the new do normal you think, do you think do you think what what do you think the increased rate is of young people killing over and again Whatever you might have thought of what he had to say, keep in mind that he comes from a very orthodox scientific background, 40 years working in not just Pfizer, the maker of the vaccine, but also working in some major genetic engineering companies. And uh, he's just looking at this from his perspective. Now, we don't have his background. We don't have his expertise. Therefore, we can accept or reject what we believe is, is true or not, and then we can do our homework. Are there other qualified articles in the scientific literature supporting different things he says? Here's what we cannot say at this moment, even though David Martin, Dr. David Martin, others believe it. They believe it was intentional. We do know that they were working on the vaccine before the disease was found and announced. Well, that's odd. How would you know what vaccine to make if you haven't yet found the disease? It's generally you got a disease, then you create a solution for the disease, a medication or vaccine. But it seems to be in reverse order here. Why, did, why didn't anyone look at who owns the patents on all this? But David Martin has. Again, that does not mean that they intended to create a pandemic, but someone weaponized this in a lab in Wuhan, and the United States helped pay for that research. That much is absolutely 100% clear. We had the documentation, we had the communication, we had the grants, and then we have a blank space where the Chinese government, Defense Department, was using the labs for weaponization, biological weapons creation. Because even Luc Montagnier, who won the Nobel Prize in uh, medicine for discovering the HIV virus, he and his team at the Institut Pasteur, one of the most respected scientific institutions in the world, said that HIV virus was also in that, uh, cleaved into that.
but other other toxins were also put into it that were not ever in any bat. So this was human-made. It was a biological weapon. And then how did it get out? Was it accidental or not? That's where the story is at this moment. More will be known with lawsuits and congressional hearings. But isn't it interesting that just recently, just in the last two weeks, we've uncovered evidence that Anthony Fauci, in secret, went into CIA headquarters and met with officials there in order to downplay that this came from a lab because he was funding that lab and had been and lied to Congress that he didn't fund it. So now he could be held in contempt of Congress or for perjury. There are going to be a lot of lawsuits. But why would he go to the CIA, meet with top officials, and try to convince them this came from nature? Because if it were shown that he had been funding all along through Eric at University of North Carolina and others, other groups, gain-of-function research, when there was a moratorium on that gain-of-function research in the United States, and then that ends up causing this, then he could be directly blamed and the people and scientists that uh, were doing this research could be blamed for creating this pandemic. Needless to say, that does not bode well for him. So they're all scrambling. Then we find out from a congressional hearing that seven CIA top analysts reviewed everything that the intelligence agencies had on Wuhan, and six of the seven said the probable cause was from the Wuhan lab. One person dissented. Then in comes someone to offer them money. In effect, in my opinion, bribery. Change your position on this. This came from nature. It wasn't manufactured. Well, now we have all those people being brought in to testify. So we have two pieces of information. Anthony Fauci meeting in secret. Now, mind you, when you go into the CIA, you just don't walk in the door and say, hi, I'm here to visit someone. You have to sign in. Uh, you have your uh, facial recognition done. Everything is done so nobody gets in the building shouldn't be there. Rightly so. How do they give him a pass to get through all that? He's ushered in, ushered out. And we know of one meeting. Were there others? Or did they meet in other places? We don't know that yet. And then suddenly you've got all these people saying, it came from a lab, and we're the CIA, and we're the analysts, we're the experts. Oh, and we were offered bribes. Did they take the bribes? We don't know yet. We will. So this is just part of the story that I think we all need to focus on. That's it for today. Thank you all for watching, and have a nice day. Brother, brother, there's far too many of you dying.